Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Coromdeo Church and Pastor Chris Hemmelman of First City Church and special guest Mindy Hemmelman, also of First City Church. On Wednesdays, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. Today, we're talking about counseling and community. Yep, we're coming back to a topic. First of all, Mindy, thanks are. for being on the podcast. Glad to be here. It's great to have you here. And uh, before we start, we need to give a shout out to a listener, Chris. Justin Pearson. Justin Pearson, who sent Selena's Biscochitos, which I didn't know what a Biscochito was. Did yeah. not either. Chris was like, hey, someone's sending Biscochitos. And I was like, what, is that like a burrito? But actually, what a Biscochito is, is the st- official state cookie of New Mexico. Apparently, it dates back to the uh, 16th century. Um, it tastes and, uh, good. Yeah. They're, I they're, it. It, these cookies have like this, what do you call that? The state logo of New Mexico. It's like the thing that's on the New Mexico flag. That little um, wow emblem or symbol. It's like a star thing. It's like, yeah, it's like in the top of the cookie. So thank you, Justin Pearson, for getting Chris here in person and Mindy. Yes. Your Biscuitos got both Chris and Mindy to come in the studio we today. We both so. came. Yeah. It's awesome. Remember that one time you Zoomed? You didn't get any snacks that <laughs> I day. I did not. I did no not. No snacks that day. Hey, uh, we are coming back to a topic that we have talked about. Well, I guess the first time was, what was it? Episode 386? Is that what you yep, said? Yeah, 386, back in July. Back in July. And uh, since then, we've tackled it a couple other different ways. And man, some of y'all really care a lot about this topic and are convinced that we're saying things we're not saying. So uh, we've gotten some feedback of just like, hey, do you guys like hate counselors? Are you ba- are you mad at therapists? The answer is no and no. We are trying, however, to have a meaningful conversation about some of the ways that uh, our lives get a little complicated when we uh, lean on counseling in ways that sometimes are not the ways we should. And so we, we're trying to just frame out a conversation about the church and what is the role of Christian community in helping us heal? And then what is the role of some of the people who can have really professional skills and give themselves to counseling? And so we have been trying to sort of have some conversations in that vein. There's probably been, what, three or four or five episodes we've done in the past six months that kind of speak to that in some way. <laughs> Someone in my gospel community was like, man, you guys just must like to just take it on the chin because you just keep coming back to like you keep coming back yeah. to that conversation in ways that feel like you're just for real wading right into the friendly fire. So uh, we're not trying to wade into friendly fire. I really think we're trying to be uh, gracious and careful and helpful and fairly nuanced, it feels like to me, but maybe. Yeah, I mean, in my defense, I wasn't part of that July. I was on sabbatical. (laughs) Oh, so you're going to blame it on us. We were in Florida. You're going to say, Dusty, if you're doing that, I was on vacation too. (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's probably why. No. It's my fault. But we, when we got back, we were... Shortly after we got back, we were running some errands and just listening to the podcast. And it was, and and that's actually one of the, you know, the genesis of asking Minnie to come on was just talking, talking about that episode, listening to it and her sharing some thoughts. I'm like, "Eh, actually, you should come on and, and talk about this as well. Say those into a microphone. Yeah, Exactly. I saw Mindy on the way into the studio and I was like, Hey, are you ready to come about, come and talk about like the deep things in your life into a microphone? Cause isn't that what everybody wants to do? It's just like, <laughs> come talk about deep stuff into a microphone that just like goes out there into the ether. So thanks for having the courage to do that. Yeah. Glad to be here. So Mindy, let's dial back and let's talk about why for you, the, the, the role of counseling and the role of community is a significant topic. So dialing back in your story, this was when you guys were living in Virginia. So this is seven, eight years ago. Yep. Okay. And you experienced some helpful counseling and also the need for community in a particular 
journey and, and moment in your life. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. In uh, 2014, I believe, I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. And so backtracking a little bit, I think as far as how that kind of evolved, I think that I've always, as a kid and in college, probably struggled with anxiety. Um, most of it was, once I became an adult, was kind of centered around decision-making. But once we got married, we moved immediately out to the East Coast. And when we got into that situation, into our first apartment, I started having some intrusive thoughts or some thoughts about fearing that I could start my apartment on fire through our stove and that sort of thing. So I started checking, going back to check and make sure the stove was off. Um, but I would say for about five or six years, maybe four, three to four years, it wasn't really that significant. It didn't really impact my everyday life. It was just sort of a quirky thing that we kind of joked about. If I was stressed or over anxious, it would get more, more intense, but generally speaking, it wasn't. Um, and so then we decided that we were going to plant a church and because of that decided to quit my job so I could focus on ministry. And as I quit my job, it, essentially the week Chris started his church planning residency and I quit my job, I started having unlimited amounts of time, um, more time on my hands, and the intrusive thoughts started picking up uh, really intensely. And I would say how I describe them were just really dark and evil, um, perverse thoughts. They weren't things that I wanted in my head, but they were pretty constant. Uh, they made me feel sick to my stomach. I would throw up. I mean, it was very intense and it was very uh, frequent and it wouldn't relent. And so because of that, we, it sort of take, picked up and take, took on more uh, different veins. And it, then it turned into maybe what you would consider stereotypical OCD with uh, contamination like hand washing. Uh, so because of that, we decided to step back from church planting. And uh, what happened because of that, we, because of the polity of our church, Chris took on a new role in our church community. And because of that polity, we had to vote on if that role was okay. And so we had this situation where it's pretty unusual. We had to decide whether or not we were going to be open with the church about my mental health struggles or if we were going to say I had health issues. Um, and at the time, I remember having this really big crisis because I felt so much shame about what I was experiencing it. I really thought that I was an evil person. And I wasn't sure if I could trust the people in my community to be uh, to hear my story and not think of me like, what was I going to do? Um, and so I just was very torn up about it. And I remember even talking to our pastor the day of this meeting that we were deciding. And it was right before he was going to preach, which now I feel bad knowing what a preaching's like <laughs> as, a, as a pastor's life. I was like, I can't believe that I like took his like preaching time to, you know, have this conversation, but he was so gracious with me. The leadership of our church was so compassionate and gracious with me. And we had this conversation and I called my mom and I said, uh, mom, I don't know if I should tell our church if I can trust them. And, and she said, I think you should do it so they can pray for you. And so I still get really emotional about it because, um, that's what we did that night. We decided that I was going to tell our church community, our, all the members of our church, that I was struggling with a mental illness. And I had my friends around me, like, hold, like holding my hand while it was happening. And um, I was in the pit of so much darkness and had so much shame. And after, it was like this light 
shown into my story. And I feel like it was the reason um, that the door to healing was open for me. And so um, I had people praying for me. I had people uh, supporting me as a result of being vulnerable and open with my story. And I know sharing with everybody is not the wisest choice for everybody. So I'm not saying that you should go, you know, to your next church members meeting and whatever. But I am, I, I have experienced how in my own personal story, the grace that was poured onto me through, through the idea of being open with my community and being open with my story. Um, and I just think it was so instrumental in my own healing that I want other people to experience that type of healing in their church community. And I want us to have conversations where our church communities can become safer places where um, it is okay to share that type of story and that it is received with grace. Um, And so just having categories for how to receive those types of messages and how to deal with it is just something I'm really excited about talking about and really passionate about. How did that experience of sharing with the church members, <clears throat> did that change what the struggle looked like or felt like, or did it just feel more relieving to know, hey, I have people praying for me and like, this is out there and it's okay? Yeah, no, it didn't do anything in the actual struggle. It was literally just um, people knew it wasn't hidden anymore. It wasn't shameful. I mean, it did still feel shameful, but it was like taking the power of the shame away, I think is maybe how you would... how I experienced it. I mean, I still had a really long fight and I have a lot of other reasons, ways the community help and support. That was just like the first one. And prayer was a huge part of that and why people were praying, Mm. praying, knowing that and praying specifically for me was a huge part. Chris, I assume you were in that meeting. Yeah. How did that feel? Yeah. It was interesting because I remember the struggle of how specific do we want to be. And some of that was because we were trying to set up it was almost like you're, we're kind of managing community. It's like, if we say this, then what are, how are people going to respond? Are people going to try to offer like unhelpful help? And, and and I think that ultimately was like, it just feels like we're trying to manage this a little too much. Let's just trust the Lord and let's just be open and honest. Cause there was also, like she was saying, I mean, an adjustment for me and my job and responsibility. And if all we're telling people is Mindy's got some health issues, are we hiding something? You know, just, it, it, it just felt like way too much management so we, we had to trust the Lord and, and I do, I remember that meeting very clearly when it was just specifically stated, I was like, oh wow, it's out there. And, but it was, man, the spirit was in that room and you could just tell there was just nothing but love and like people leaning in, in that moment. And it was like, okay, we're going to be okay. This, this was the right decision to make, uh, sort of erring on the side of honesty. Providentially this is one of the things that caused you guys to end up in Omaha. So I'm really grateful for it because I think it's like a a part of the hand of God in getting you here. Yeah. Talk a little bit, Mindy, about, okay, from that moment forward, what did it, what things did you lean on just your Christian community for? And then where did you try to pursue some particular counseling focused on OCD and sort of how did those two sort of things work together? Yeah, I'll speak to the counseling first because I think that's, Uh, I think what had happened, I'm not even entirely sure the dates of when that happened. Um, I was doing uh, biblical counseling through CCEF, um, and I had a biblical counselor that I was meeting with. We lived close to Philly, so I was driving up to their main office, um, and I experienced a lot of uh, helpful uh, insights through that. The thing about OCD 
it is very behavioral based. And so if you're not familiar, you have some sort of thought, intrusive thought, unwanted thought, and it causes distress. And so then you do some sort of compulsion to either relieve the thought or relieve the distress. So you get caught in these rituals. And so biblical counseling was definitely helping me address my thoughts, my beliefs, but it wasn't really tailoring or focusing on my actual behaviors. And so as I was doing this biblical counseling, I was actually getting significantly more caught in the trap of OCD because I wasn't aware of the psychology of that, I guess I'd say. So um, I think it was about March of that time where I I call it my rock bottom day, March 15th, I still remember, uh, where I, it was such a significant um, episode that I sort of realized that I was at the bottom of this pit and that I needed help, more help to crawl, to get out of this. And so we started exploring additional options. Um, and that's when I found the gold standard of psychological treatment for OCD is cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure, response prevention. And I found a psychologist in uh, DC that I called and she said, it sounds to me like you have classic OCD. I have a 12 week treatment program. You'll start to feel relief in three to four weeks and you'll see great improvement within. And she just kind of stated that. And I was like, that was the first time I was like, someone understands what's happening. Cause we, none of us in our community really knew what is happening. I think I was sort of, I've met a lot of people with OCD since then, but I, there wasn't that many people that we had been exposed to. So I was sort of the, you know, test case of, <laughs> of this. I don't know. So, um, we really discussed what type of treatment, um, and we just became into an agreement together and with our pastoral support to pursue this, this specific treatment. Cause, cause there was a time where we, we thought this in some ways, I mean, I, I don't say this lightly, but you know, you're kind of garden variety anxiety in some ways it's, it is in some ways more spiritual than it is, you know, mental illness or, um, brain chemistry type stuff. But just, so I think when we were approaching that in that way, you know, biblical counseling and it, when we realized this is not work, it's gotta be more than that. And that led to pursuing the, the OCD specialized. And, and it was, it was like when that, when there was light, there's insight there, someone actually saying, Hey, we go through these steps. It was a game changer. Hmm. What I hear you saying there is I wasn't, re- I wasn't going to be able to repent my way out of this. Correct. I wasn't, well, <laughs> Can I say this? I wasn't going to gospel chart my way out of the uh, <laughs> cross chart. <laughs> cross Safe chart. Place. Cross Safe chart. Place. Yeah. Like I, I was doing all the right things. Like I was reading books and reading my Bible and, you know, talking about my idols. And I was, I was coming to the point where like, I can't come to terms with my uncleanliness. Like I was acknowledging all those things. And I was like still spiraling into this pit. Um, so yeah, that's when we decided to do the treatment. Um, and exposure re- response is a very intense uh, treatment. You essentially face your worst fears, and it takes a lot of intentional uh, effort and time and a lot of support. And so one of the primary ways that my church community came around me at that time, I had a good friend. She was a nurse. Um, she just really stuck by my side. She developed a Google Doc called Minty Club, and people from my church signed up essentially to like babysit me um, because I I really couldn't function. I, it's not 
like an overstatement to say I wasn't functioning. And so they would sign up for slots and I was completely debilitated. I couldn't shower. I couldn't cook. I couldn't clean the house. I didn't do like any, any normal thing. And so part of exposure therapy, um, because I had fear to do all those things. Um, you know, every, in everyday life, you do so many things without thinking all of that was ripped away in this. And so I would touch something and clean something. I would put my hand here and like, I've just, my mind was constantly filled with thoughts. I couldn't do anything without being completely aware of what I was doing. And so I had to like relearn how to live. And one of the main ways that community supported me was to be a model, essentially discipleship of how to actually live again. So I'd go to people's houses and watch them cook. And they would sort of reteach me like how to clean. And these are the things that I think about. And these are the things I don't have to worry about. Um, and it was pretty significant. And it happened for quite a few weeks. Um, and then the, on the other side of this little Google, I went back and looked at it. So I, I just remember it so fondly. Um, is this like, something your church was setting up or your counselor was also recommending? No, this is my church. Just yeah. people in my church were like, you need help. We're going to help you. Like they just did it. And then on the other side, there was prayer. So there were people who were like praying for me. And then one of the things about OCD is it's really your community can actually feed your compulsions. So you have to start teaching people how to not uh, feed those. One of the primary ways people feed compulsions is reassurance. So if I was to say, if I touch this, is my hand dirty? And you say, yes, that's actually a compulsion. And so uh, you're actually making my fear worse by answering that question. So I had to teach everyone, all my small group and friends, like you say, I can't be certain that (laughs) your hand is dirty, even though you know, because you don't, you're like, well, of course your hand is not like, it's not going to kill anybody. But I literally was like, I could kill someone if this is dirty and then it spreads to someone else. And so you would say, I can't be certain that that, that is dirty or that you're not going to kill someone. And so I had to teach people that. And they learned, and people were in my community, church community, we didn't have family in the area. So this was all church support. They were learning that and willing to learn it and learn. They still, everyone jokes about it. Like, I can't be certain that. that. (laughs) They were good sports. They were really good sports. sports. I love that. Yeah, it was, it was really beautiful. Um, And my friend, she, she was just a gifted nurse, uh, you know, very gifted. She could be a counselor, just has that intuition. She would even put little things like if Mindy isn't showing up because it would take me like a really, really long time to shower or get ready. You need to call her and coax her. And she would like teach people how to do it. And uh, so, yeah, that's one of the primary ways that um, people kind of rallied and supported me during that time is just say actually like rolling up their sleeves and like doing the work with me as I was trying to get better. Yeah. And to be sure to part of this, they didn't always do it perfectly. Like this wasn't, I mean, having to teach people, people having to learn, reorient, and you do at times you get people who mean well and say things that aren't necessarily helpful. So, I mean, there was, they they were amazing and the way they rallied and and adjusted and learned and leaned in to learn, but there was certainly, yeah, and I mean, I think that's, it was tough too. I think that's important to note because I, I look back and I am absolutely a hundred percent believe that community was completely significant to my healing. Our pastor, old pastor at the time used to say, we're the church body. When one of us suffers, we all suffer. And I really 
believed that because he said it so much. And I realized that my story wasn't just about my suffering, wasn't just about me, that we were all as a community becoming more like Christ together. And so, I mean, it's really hard to feel that when you're in so much pain, but there was, I had sown to so much of that belief that the body mattered, that it was really uh, an important part of really like, if I was going to suffer in community, I was going to be healed in community. But the reality is it it wasn't perfect. Um, There were people that did hurt me. I've had more than one person come back and say to me that they were sorry that they weren't more present for me during that time. And God says he's going to provide through his people, but it's not always who you think it will be. It's not always maybe who it should be. And, but he will, he will provide. And I've developed some of my closest friends through this experience that I wasn't even friends with before, but it wasn't maybe everyone in my small group or it, there was just different ways that God provided based on their season of life or maybe their insecurities with mental illness, like lots of reasons why people won't engage. Um, but people have come to me and asked for forgiveness. Um, that's also beautiful, like that we got to have those conversations and been like, yeah, that was hurtful. Um, but I'm glad that, that you realize that and that you can, that you're ready to help someone next time. So what, how did you develop realistic expectations for people? Cause it feels like we have two spe- sides of the spectrum here. One side is like, I'll just struggle on my own. Nobody needs to know. And the other side is I'm super idealistic about like what everybody should do or can do. And it sounds like you're saying there's some middle ground there of like leaning on community, but also understanding that they're not always going to get it right. And they don't always know what to do. And some people aren't going to show up for you in the way you want them to. And so how did you navigate just the realistic reality of like, I'm in a community and these people don't always know what to do? Yeah. I mean, I think that's really difficult when you're suffering because you're in so much pain uh, to have that kind of perspective. I uh, read this quote, last week, something to the effect, uh, Sarah Clarkson wrote this book on OCD. It's called The Beautiful Truth. And she talked about how mental illness is uh, the disintegration of your identity. And I think that's a really insightful way to talk about that. And so if you think of like all of your identity is just shattered pieces, you know, in front of you. And uh, it's really hard to have perspective on all of those pieces when you're in, in so much disintegration. Um, and so I think a lot of my insights are coming on the back end where you look, you look back and you say, oh, okay, that was hurtful, but I see what God was doing. I also um, think it's really important to realize uh, when you engage in the ordinary means of grace, like through coming to church and being involved in community, that that's not always like, the grace that God gives isn't always like, you know, touchy feely and beautiful all the time. Like sometimes his grace comes through listening to a song that makes you so mad that you're like, I can't believe, I don't believe this is true. And you go and wrestle with him and you get closer to him through that wrestle. And so when you get through some of these trials, you look back and you're like, whoa, God was so present. It just wasn't always in the way that I would have scripted it. Um, So I think, a lot of my perspective comes from the outside. Um, it is hard, I think, sometimes when, you, when you're suffering, you're like, I have to suffer and I have to teach people how to help me suffer. Like, it feels like a double burden, which I think why these types of conversations are so important yeah. because you give people categories to enter into people's suffering without having to do that. But I think, you know, I was, this was, you know, seven, eight years ago, um, we've come a long way in the church and having these types of conversations. So I think we're in a better spot, 
but there's still obviously even from you know having this conversation again there's a lot of touchiness around <laughs> this type of subject so yeah i don't know if you have anything to add yeah. i think bob the question you asked is so big because expectations set so much of this um what our expectations are for community and i don't have an easy answer for that other than to some way, the only way, like your community has to go through it. Uh, they, they have to wrestle through the mess of, of falling into maybe one ditch or another and, and learning to trust the grace of God to, to grow and mature. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't think you ever reach this place where you just, you're just going to roll perfectly on the road the whole time. I think every, every instance of someone suffering and community entering in, there's going to be mistakes made, but you hope you do mature. You hope that collectively the church starts to grow their their expectations to become much more um, biblical and thoughtful and realistic. But maybe it's the way to say it is the only way is through experience. Well, and that's what I was wondering is if there's like, if the gospel, if grace actually sort of surrounds all of that. Yeah, yeah. Because I think what I see is there's like a weird, I don't think people mean to do this, but there's like a weird shaming component of like, if you're not good at walking with people through suffering, shame on you. Like you should be more sensitive. Yeah. You, you know, it's like, you see that a lot on social media of like, you idiots, why don't you understand this? You know? And it feels like actually, if we can embrace that, like God's grace covers all of that. And so it gives us the freedom to just like get into it with each other and yeah. do our best and grow together. That that's the, that's where the gospel brings a different answer here than maybe the culture that says like, well, you should already perfectly know how to walk with people in suffering or how to be a sufferer and let people into it. And if you don't, then what's wrong with you? You know, whereas the gospel invites us to this sort of beautiful journey of God's grace is surrounding all of us and binding us together. And so it's in that bond that we can sort of walk this out and learn it. Yeah. Cause if you're like what you're saying, like the social media pressure and expectation, I mean, that's going to send us all running. Like, right. I, I don't want, I got to do this perfectly. Like what? And, and you can just feel the weight and feel crushed and you can feel a lot of shame for failing people. And so I think you're spot on, like how the gospel frees us to, to be bound together in the midst of the mess and learning how to care for one another. It's also interesting to me, just the nature of commitment here. I mean, really what you're, what you're talking about and membership is an interesting category. Like you said, you told this first of all, church members meeting. I was thinking about how it actually takes commitment to one another to do something like that. You can't do this if it's like, I'm just in your living room this week, but I'll see if I come back next week. That's mm -hmm. not, that kind of community doesn't sustain this kind of thing. That there really has to be a sense of like, hey, we love one another and we're like in this together. Sure. And when that's there, it does feel like, well, that, that bond, that sense of commitment to the same thing, to Christ and his kingdom and his church is what pulls us forward through the sort of like wonkiness of how do we do this? Yeah, I think the idea of the covenantal community where you are actually committed, like, you know, in a marriage where you you have say things and you forgive, it's the same sort of thing. Like if you know that there's going to be mess and hurt in the church, um, but you're so committed. I wouldn't want to share with people that weren't actually like committed to me or that right. it, like the whole idea of when one of us suffers, we all suffer. Like you're actually suffering with me um, in this, that provided a lot of like safety and healing for me to share. Do you guys feel like you had realistic expectations going in or did you have to adjust that like pretty quickly on the fly? I mean, judging from my, I think typically with suffering, my reaction is actually to self-protect and isolate. So 
I think getting help was one of the biggest things that was super humbling for me. Yeah. So while there was hurt, I think I probably would, it would, people had to barge in to help me sometimes. So Got it. yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I, a good question, Dusty. Cause I was also, I mean, just where I was at the time, I mean, I was being raised up in ministry. I was surrounded by the best leaders in the church. I was getting discipled by our pastors. I mean, so I was getting poured into some, in some very rich ways. And so I think I had as hard as it was, I think I was probably at a place where I had a lot of good feels about the community in some ways, or just, just a sense I felt very supported. And I know that that in some ways that was because of my unique position at the time of just getting poured into. So I know that not everybody necessarily goes into these things already kind of feeling super supported and poured into. So I, I, we want to kind of acknowledge in some ways, some of the unique dynamics, but I think while I went into it, um, with, with, I think some, some positivity and some hopefulness there, there was certainly, um, ways in which I had to learn to give grace when, when people didn't meet my expectations or people weren't necessarily there in the ways that you thought. Um, so, and, and so you, again, you go to the wrestle. Is that because I had an unrealistic expectation? Was I expecting too much? Did they did they actually kind of drop the ball? But hey, there's grace here, and we're going to work through this. So, um, I, I, yeah, I think I think we had a pretty good, you know. I also was very focused on. I was really not functioning, so I didn't really care about a lot of things. <laughs> I was like, I just want to be able to, yeah. you know, live. Yeah, and get out of bed. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't like. I mean, I would have thoughts of be like, this person hasn't reached out to me. And it would be sad and it wouldn't help, you know, my emotional state. But I wasn't like thinking about those people. I was thinking about germs. So <laughs> did the 12 week exposure response thing did that that the counselor said, hey, 12 weeks and you will go on this path. Was that did that prove to be actually what it sort of looked like? I mean, I think the relief part, uh, the three to four week where you start to see, oh, I can actually not do what's you know, in my head, I can actually have some control over that. It, yeah, I think I saw some pretty good strides in 12 weeks. I mean, I, I continued for quite a bit longer than that, but, um, I did definitely, it wasn't like 12 weeks done and then you're no longer doing therapy. Well, I mean, you started seeing her was, was it March was March that mm -hmm. kind of the end of March. And so month three, almost into month four by month what was it about seven, eight? You were like, Hey, I think I have faith to church plant, which started, which kind of started to kick the, the ne next part of the story that where we ended up here. So within less than six months, there had been a significant transformation. Yeah, I went from like not it. functioning to be like, all right, let's move to home. Right. Let's go to church plant. It was super, in my experience, a very helpful treatment program. Yeah. Would you mind just briefly sharing what that actually looked like some of that exposure therapy. I remember in conversations past, like she took you outside or she made you not check the oven, stuff like that. Because mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people that think they have OCD and they don't, you know? Sure. So like, yeah. Uh, so I think my first exposure, I had fear of that I could harm people and it was particularly to someone vulnerable if I had power or some sort of power. So, uh, the first Thing that we did was we decided like focusing on what theme they call them themes that you would have so like contamination would be a theme intrusive thoughts would be sort of a theme uh scrupulosity would be a theme 
which is religious OCD. And so we focus on contamination first. So the first thing I did is you sort of assess what level of distress some sort of object or thing or what the thought causes to you. And then you go to something about the three to four level, like on a scale of zero to 10, something that would give you about a level four anxiety. And then you, you expose yourself to that and then you go and spread it or something. So I, we went into the bathroom stall of her office and we talked about what the objects in the bathroom stall were and what would give me distress if I touched it and then didn't wash my hands and touch something else. So we went into the bathroom stall. I decided that it was the indoor knob of the bathroom would give me about a four level because some people don't wash their hands. They might not think about what they're touching. Like I was just like, that's what I did. And we talked about every object. You know, it was like, what's this? Like toilet seat would be 10, right? So we t I touched that and then she took a tissue paper and wiped it on, on that as well. And she put it in her pocket. And then she took me from her office. We went on a field trip. She, her office was in a really affluent area. And so they're like Louis Vuitton store and like whatever we went. She's like, what store could you go into and touch things? And I'm like, not Louis Vuitton. <laughs> so we went, I can't even go in there normally. So uh, we went to Brooks Brothers. And so then what I had to do is I had to go touch things, clothes in in the Books Brothers store and just spread germs around. And I would say things like, I'm hurting people with my disease. I would just say this aloud and spread it around. And it's so interesting. OCD is very whack-a-mole. It like tricks you, super deceptive. And so you do this until your anxiety comes down by 50%. So you keep at your exposure until you go to like from a four to a two. But once you start to get comfortable, what was starting to happen is there was kids' clothes in the store. And I was like, I started to get comfortable touching the adult store. My mind's going, well, an adult isn't going to get my disease. So I started avoiding the kids' section. Like, just, I remember doing this, like, just avoiding it. And she, being a trained therapist, knowing this, and she's, she's watching me. And they don't, they don't do anything to relieve your anxiety. They just coach you along all right, let's keep going. Like good work. Like they don't, they're not like, how you feeling? Like there's none of that. It's just like <laughs> expose yourself. So I'm like avoiding the kid's store. And then I go over there and, uh, she notices because she's, she's trained that I'm like cutting spots, like totally not going. So she's like, let's go over here. And I'm like, my anxiety, I mean, it just spiked back up. And so then, but she, you know, pushed me over there and, gently not push literally but then I started touching that till it came down and that was my first you know exposure till I came back down and so it was interesting even at first I can see how my mind was like tricky but that's what it does it like you start to face your fears and then you start to like manipulate so you don't have to be you know face them all and they're just super trained and mm. seeing those and recognizing that but and didn't didn't you get to the place where you had to get like Oh, yeah. granola bar on your fingers and then yeah. go touch the brook like so yeah. actually put stuff on yeah, I was the scared. new suit but like cookie crumbs. Well, no, you. that was, uh, that was the piano. I had to go touch the piano in the lobby, the grand piano after I had like sticky, I was scared of spreading allergens to people that someone could get like, a, and this is before I knew one person with an allergy. And by God's grace, the other thing, my community, uh, one of our closest friends in our community and our GC has a severe, their child has a severe peanut allergy. And I've had to face that in my gospel community with all of all the many meals we cooked together. So I had to spread it around. And I was like, what if the person, the cleaning lady is going to like 
you know, she's going to have to scrub it. And you're like, well, what if she just like reframe it? She'd be like, well, what if uh, they're late because they had to clean it and then they missed getting hit by a bus? Like that's what she would say <laughs> to me. <laughs> so I was like, that's just the type of uh, stuff that, that happened there. Oh yeah. And then the, the Kleenex thing. So if you ever, while you're doing that, if you ever felt like your hands were like no longer dirty, then you would recontaminate it with the contaminated Kleenex. So, and you learn a lot of little tricks like first generation, how, how things stop to spread. There's a lot of different tricks that you learn. That was a very detailed story about exposure, but it's, it's great. Yeah. You asked for an example. Yeah. That was I a did. good example. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That's a good example. I'm intrigued Mindy, to talk, to have you talk about, because what's fascinating about OCD is it's so behavioral. And so it breaks the categories of like gospel change, right? I've just like, like you said, like, okay, there's, there's work we could do in repentance and faith and thought work and identity, but that doesn't change the fact that I have this behavioral compulsion. Mm -hmm. So could you talk a little bit to just how you see the, the value of both of those? Like, yes, I need the gospel, but also I might need someone who's very trained OCD counselor or therapist. Yeah, I think, first of all, acknowledging that the interplay of belief and behavior, but body and soul is so complex um, and that we really need to be seeking God's wisdom in those areas and instead of being so categorical. Um, not that you can't believe things, but it's, I think uh, sometimes we just, we're like, this is what we believe and we just, without being like, okay, God, there, you know, how do we enter in to this? Um I think the other reality is as you're facing uh, your behaviors, like it, like I said, the OCD will give you a lot of distress. And there is this reality that your belief or your faith helps you cope or deal and engage in that stress. So it's a very, I mean, I would say this is one of the most spiritually awakening experiences that I had facing my fears and having to trust the Lord that he was sovereign and good and wise as I was actually doing these things. And so um, having those categories of belief really helped me engage my treatment. Um, and I think, you know, as we believe as Christians that our motivations matter. And so I was doing that work and engaging that as I was doing the behavioral work. And I think through the the end of this, I had read a story in the gospels, uh, about the woman who had the discharge of blood for 12 years. And, you know, Jesus is walking to go heal or raise, raise the, is it the little girl from the dead? You guys would all know. Um, so, and, uh, this woman who had this experience of having discharge of blood, which in her community would have meant that she was contaminated, that she was unclean and Jesus walking through. And she just is like, if I just even touch his garment. If I just like lean into him, I'm going to be healed. And she does it. And Jesus in that walk, like experiences power of healing, like leaving his body and is like, who is this person that touched me? And she was instantaneously healed in this idea that if you take your uncleanliness, like when Jesus heals that, you put that on him and he takes that upon himself. And then you are then considered clean and righteous and whole and accepted. And so I was engaging those types of thoughts because when I went to the biblical counselor, I was came to understand that part of the reason I had this problem with OCD is because I couldn't come to terms with my sin and my uncleanliness. Like, what if I am that unclean? And when I came through this experience and I started facing those fears and that God would actually uh, awaken in me this reality that Jesus is enough and that 
who he is and that him dying for me um, takes that upon himself. And there's almost, I don't, it's hard. I don't know if everyone should say this, but just like this reality, like it's not okay to be a sinner, but it's like, I'm a sinner and I have a savior and to come to peace with that, that I wasn't trying to earn my way or fix my way into being perfect or pure. Um, and so I think the interplay of all of that was happening simultaneously. And, you know, I've been to a, a lot of secular and OCD support groups and I sit around the table and listen to people having, doing the same things that I did and hearing them missing this component of like the spiritual awakening and who Jesus is. It makes, I, the people I pray for the most to get saved are people in my support group. I just want them to know, like to have that power and that um, just the love of Jesus, you know, in their life. And so um, I think, yeah, just doing exposure and what that brought out in my own belief merging was just super, I just don't, I don't find them at odds at all. Well, uh, here's an interesting, as you're talking, I don't know if maybe this is a simple connection, but I'm thinking of the difference between the word faith and the word belief. Because really what you're talking about is like acting on faith, right? Like I have to have faith in what God says about me, but I also have to have faith that I can go touch these this thing and it's not going to continue. Like that's actually putting action to yes. a thing I actually believe, but that I find it hard to actually live in light of that. So like actually even all the behavioral work you're doing is kind of a manifestation of what faith looks like. It's Absolutely. taking God at his word yep. and going out and living life in trust that what he sees is true and that what he says is true, even if I'm not convinced, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Or if, if something in me is telling me, mm, but but this could go differently. Mm -hmm. The whole, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief that, I mean, I just prayed that constantly because it was hard to walk by faith and do those things. I think a lot of the formation language that we use now has really helped clarify some of those categories. I think at that time it was really like behavioral, you know, don't do any behavioral modification. There was a lot of that talk going on. And uh, so it was a tricky, but I think, you know, now we just talk more about the idea of that your behaviors or your habits form and shape your desires. Um, they also, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't circumstances that also don't reveal your desires. So those things aren't at odds either, but like, you know, connecting those things and not pitting them against each other. I just, I think we would see a lot more healing in people's lives if we, if we just didn't pit a lot of things yeah. against each other. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good word because I think that's a very mature response because I think a lot of people, you know, wonder, Oh, d should I be doing this in the church? Well, that's going to require some faith and some courage and some vulnerability. Or should I just do this therapy stuff and then inform some people along the way? And so that's what we see. You know, we see just, we, we do see it pitted against one another. And I think one of the burdens that I'm, you know, hearing here and, and listening to is just, I just wish people would let people in a little bit sooner because it does, it's not one or the other. The church is actually going to help guide you like in your story. Yeah. I, like I said, I just thought, you know, I'm suffering in the church. I'm going to be healed in the church and he's going to work all that together. Uh, it was, it was really beautiful. Um, and I, yeah, I think so often we just choose one or the other, but I, I was so, uh, dehabilitated that I was like, I will get, I got to the point where I'll take all the help I can get. And so I did. And now I'm at the end of it saying, gosh, I have this like story where I was really, really down and God delivered me and he used all of these means 
what about the people that don't have those means? Like, and as a Christian, we have the means of church community and it's one of the primary ways that God makes us more like a son. Why would we not tap into it, you know? And we also have common grace and we have the means of counseling. And if we need that, why not tap into it? Like, why do we have to, you know, pit it against each other? It's put it all, get all the help. That's how I am. <laughs> Mindy, thanks for uh, having the courage to share your story and let us into how God um, used all of those means to heal you and bring you to fullness. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We love to hear from listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.